0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sears XM 132. I'm Cheryl Coleman,
2: And hey, I'm Nick Ashburn.
1: And we're live here every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 Eastern, and then we're replayed during the week, so you can catch us at other times as well.
2: Absolutely. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? I'm great. It's a beautiful fall day here in Philadelphia. Beautiful
1: fall day. I don't think we've we've been together on the show for a while, but we've been traveling.
2: Well, we were in SoCap a little bit. We had that that one overlap segment. We tag-teamed for a little bit, and then at the very end, I came back after my coffee break. <laughs>
1: and that was for our, our open segment. There were the three of us, you, me, and Catherine, Exactly. Able to talk about that. So that yep. was good. That uh-huh. was good. So um, I'm looking forward to our show today. It's good. We're going to have a lot of uh, interesting discussions about education, uh, impact investing, and um, headquarters economy. So, yeah,
2: which I think the headquarters economy is obviously very topical, um, given what the news around Amazon, but also like a lot of our work in Philadelphia. I yeah, mean, we're really exactly. thinking about... How uh, companies, in, like, it's business attraction on one hand, right. but also like what's the ingrown or like the homegrown assets right. that you're really supposed to be building on. I think that's really the tenor of the conversation exactly. later. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So we're looking forward to that. I think it'll be very influential for our our Philadelphia work. So let me give a. a yeah, our listeners, a little overview first, and then we can go ahead in there. Sounds good. Our first guests, who will join us in just a moment, will be Sonny Calzi and Lynette Guestaferro. Lynette is the CEO of Teaching Matters, and sunny's a member of the organization's board, as well as the founder of Green Oak Real Estate. So it'll be interesting to see you know, the real estate to education connection. Then at the bottom of the hour, we wel- we welcome Meg Voorhees. Meg is the Director of Research at USSIF. S- US and we'll discuss their latest 2018 report on U.S. sustainable, responsible, and impact investing trends. Our third guest in one hour from now at 9 a.m. Eastern will be Miles Shaver. Miles is a professor at the University of Minnesota and author of Headquarters Economy, Managers, Mobility, and Migration. We'll talk with him about the impact of anchor institutions and regional economies. I want to remind everyone that if you want to give us a call, we're at 1-844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Our our email is businessradio at SiriusXM.com, and then our Twitter is at bizradio132. So, without any further ado, I want to welcome Lynette Guestafaro and Sunny Colsey. Welcome,
2: welcome to the show, Lynette.
1: Hi, thank
3: you.
2: Hi. And welcome to the show, Sunny. Hi, good morning. How are you guys doing today?
3: Okay. Great, thank d-
1: you. Good. Well, so teaching matters works to solve the um, the problem of unequal education, really, because we know education is is vitally important, and the quality really varies across different locations, different uh, dem- demographies, et cetera. So what is teaching matters doing to to address
0: some of that? Well, Lynette, why don't matters- you start? Sure. At teaching Matters is a nonprofit that's been serving New York City. And the New York City schools are now working nationally for the last 25 years. Um, Our focus is to address some of the problems with respect to how we develop teachers, especially in high-need schools. Um, And we have a couple of different initiatives, one that particularly targets schools in very high-poverty neighborhoods uh, in the teaching of reading.
1: So, t- tell us a little bit about what you do. Do you go into the schools? Or is it you know external education what what yeah no,
0: we so so what, we, we we take the approach that in order to improve the sort of the the quality of teaching in a school, we have to look at the sort of culture of the of how teachers are learning in that school and the systems and structures that support the entire school. so we partner with the school and work with every kindergarten first second grade teacher. Across the building, we work with the AP and the principal, and so we have someone who is in that school weekly, and we have a program model behind it that provides systems, structures, metrics, so that they can assess their work um, and supports at all levels.
2: And so, Lynette, you know, while I have you, what sort of your background? What what brings you to the table for teaching matters?
0: So, I, I um, when I graduated uh, college, I wanted to go into, frankly, TFA. I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, I, for, for, for reasons that I won't get into, I decided that I had to go into into business. And so I worked at Pricewaterhouse for three years doing management consulting. But I sort of never lost the bug for really wanting to uh, to be in education. And so um, Pricewaterhouse had started a practice group to help school to sort of uh, provide consulting services. And I was very disillusioned with the way the private sector was doing that. So I just left and decided to go into teaching myself. And um, I did a few years in the classroom, um, but I had a sort of a management consultant's hat on at that point, and I started to see the challenges in the classroom, not just from my own sort of teacher perspective, I kind of could see the systems that were broken around me. And I was fortunate enough to find Teaching Matters a number of years ago, small um, nonprofit at the time, and have been able to um, work with Teaching Matters to kind of work on some of those systemic issues that I was experiencing as a teacher.
2: And and so, Sonny, I wanted to bring you into the conversation, and and really, what uh, what really, you know, brings you to the table here?
3: Right. Well, so this is a bit of background. Um, Lynette is much more interesting than mine, but, I, you know, I've been um, uh, uh, in the— business community and the real estate community as an investor now for uh, almost 30 years and you know i think my but a lot of it's just you know based on family background so you know my family were were uh were immigrants from india we came to the u.s when i was very young um you know grew up here uh actually grew up in the south um and you know saw just have seen a lot as i was growing up in terms of um you know, one, uh, my my family had an opportunity to come to the U.S. because of the education my parents had, um, and that opened a lot of doors for them. But it became just clear to me, both from a personal perspective, but also from a you know business perspective, uh, you know, it, education and access to education, it became really clear to me that, that that was a differentiator for people, right? And it could make a huge difference, and I, I really believe, you know... Uh, as I started to get more involved, my family started getting more involved philanthropically. We really centered in on education and particularly education for those who are um, um, you know more disenfranchised than others. So whether it's you know minorities, uh, whether it's women, uh, you know people who I, in my view, uh, in my own experience, I have seen don't have the same equal opportunity. Um, and so, you know, that, that really became the background. part of it is just, look, I'm an immigrant I'm in a minority. Uh, and I think, you know, that that, that for sure has colored my thinking, especially in the, in the, in the the day and age we live in today. Uh, but then, you know, number two, um, having had the opportunity to work with a number of people who are well-educated and had a lot of access to education, um, you know, they made a big impression on me. And so, you know, from the standpoint of our philanthropic giving, you know, um, education has been really where we've been primarily almost exclusively centered.
1: And, Cindy, let's go a little bit deeper on that because there are, you know, thousands of education organizations out there, any one of which would have been um, potential for you to be involved with. What was yep. it about Learning Matters that that inspired you and, and gave you the, the sense of, yep, this is an organization I want to back?
0: Right. This is a correction? Teaching Matters.
1: Yep. Oh, sorry, Teaching yep. Matters.
3: Sorry. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, no problem.
3: Yeah so look I would say uh some of it is just uh sometimes it's just dumb luck right um so uh I was involved in a couple of and I'm am involved in a couple of other uh education oriented uh organizations and one of uh one of my fellow trustees on uh, one of those other organizations uh, a guy named Nick Nick Bro-Hayton, uh and Nick's stepmom had been involved had been the really the founder of teaching matters and you know he heard me talking about this topic this is i don't know Lynette five five years ago okay. um mm-hmm. and um and said look you should meet this organization and so i met him i remember i remember the first time i met lynette and, and olga uh olga who's the chair of the board and i was really struck by how passionate they were about what they were doing right and so Look, some of the stuff we're involved in is from a family is global, right? So we're involved in some organizations that are, you know, focused on teaching, um, you know, for example, primarily girls in India and, and Sub-Saharan Africa, et cetera, places where for sure that that, oper- that that's important. But, you know, we live in New York City, and, you know, my family lives here in New York City, and, you know, Teaching Matters, when I got involved with them was, Um, almost exclusively focused at that time just on New York City, uh, and it's still their biggest market. And for me, it felt like a really interesting barbell approach, right, for our giving to basically be able to do something with an organization that was centered on New York, was going deep on New York. Um, I think it's really easy to think about all of the uh, issues, whether it's poverty or lack of access to education and stuff that happened in other places in the world, we got a lot of that here, right, in New York City. I'm sure there's a lot down in Philadelphia, right? And so I think that, t- to me, it was, um, and it was also really tangible, and I could, I'll could, i come back to it, but you know, a real opportunity to really go touch the work and understand it. Uh, and I'm not an educator at all. Um, you know, I, 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 when they start talking about these education terms, I feel lost, but you know, it's been critical.
2: <laughs> and so, Lynette, you know, you mentioned that you had a management consulting background, and then you became a teacher didn't love not that you didn't love teaching, but sort of saw a lot of opportunity Opportunity, for improvement. And so, you know, I think uh, several people could take the path and say, I'm going to become a principal and like run the show, at least within this school, or maybe I'm going to run for office and be, you know, the superintendent, you know, at least some in some areas they're they're elected. So what made you say, let's take a step outside the box and do more systemic change um, and look at multiple schools and, and the sort of education system?
0: I think because a lot of, I think a lot of the challenges in um, education and urban education are are, imp- are sort of failures of implementation, um, you know, there's all sort of implementation science. So it's like we actually know how to teach children reading, and it's not a, there's pretty good science on it, and the, so the failure is a lot to do with systems that break, and so you definitely can be an amazing principal and address as much as possible many of those systems you're still going to be you're still going to be affected by the failures of the larger system for example that as in an ur- in an urban school as a principal I'll probably only have access often to you know first year teachers coming coming in because we we have a sort of system of education in America where Brand new teachers who maybe taken one class in reading are then learning to read in high needs neighborhoods and then when they've mastered it, they might stay there, but more often than not, they go and teach in the suburbs so we have a broken system so as a principal i could I could sort of fix it from there and but i I felt that um, it's an it, there's, some of it is a it's a, another it's an engineering problem, but there are there are ways that you can kind of problem solve around this and put systems and structures in and help those principals and and probably have more reach. So the short answer is I thought we could have more I could have more reach uh, working with an organization that partnered with schools.
1: And you're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 132. We're talking with Lynette Guestaferro and Sonny Cosley. We're talking about Teaching Matters, which is uh, working in schools to help improve the
2: teaching. And so, Lynette, you, you mentioned that, you know, you have, I think you have people from Teaching Matters in the schools, you know, working yeah. with teachers, working with administrators. And so how does that really work? Exactly. I mean, that, that's yeah. a lot, you know, schools probably, especially in urban environments, you know, overwork, teachers, like lots of like big class sizes. How do they make time also to to work with Teaching Matters?
0: So we, we have 20 years of experience. Uh, so one of the things, you know, every organization's got, you know, a few critical competencies. And so one of our big ones is a knowledge and understanding of how to partner deeply with schools and the New York City school system. You know, we, uh, I mean, I for a period of time ran a network of New York City schools. So we understand the challenges they face. We're very conscious of how to work within those. And we really work on trust building trust and so that we have a very deep invitation into the classroom and a very deep invitation into the school so so we're there weekly and we are in the nooks and crannies of of um helping this that school problem solve but we're also bringing in um some sort of things that you can scale so you know we're bringing in a learning management system so that there's ways teachers can learn certain skills more quickly we you know and, and scalably we Um, we have institutes that we're holding across the city so that we can sort of front load a lot of information. So we do a combination of providing, you know, you know, seminars, but then really going in deep and developing a a few critical teachers on those skills. And then we set up the school so that the teachers can learn from each other. So what's critical to us is not that we just develop teachers one by one, but that we're thinking about how that when we leave and a brand new teacher walks in that building, What's going to be the system and structures that they hit so that they hit the ground running? And that, that's our goal, is to put a system in place working with that school to make sure that, that all the teachers are going to be supported, when, whether we're there or not. And Lynette, so to
1: um, make it a little bit more concrete, can you give an example of some of the the change you might make in a school that would, would uh, gel that systems change? Yeah.
0: Sure. So when— Change that we would work on would be how teachers across a grade level were systematically tracking the reading levels that kids were on, um, and then monitoring it. That'd be one change. Another change that we would work on was how teachers were forming groups of kids and targeting really specific um, practices of reading. Um, so it's, it's, it goes as far as kind of a te- you know systems technology to. to I'm going to coach a particular teacher, watch her – I'm going to model something, I'm going to watch her do it, and then I'm going to give her feedback into it. And we do that over and over again until we have a group of teachers that are really doing the practice as well.
2: Wow. That, I'm, I'm really impressed by that that model. And, you know, I definitely don't think that happened when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that I had a bad education, just like that that sort of – handholding potentially uh, certainly wasn't there when I was there.
0: Well, outside know, it's, say... it's really important in urban yeah. environments mm-hmm. and I just wanna, I want to say that I think your listeners probably know that, but it's very important that we understand how in the country at large, we develop teachers often on poor children. So it's you know if you were in uh, medicine, you have a medical residency. Well, that's not how we do education. so we typically have first year teachers go in the schools that will accept first year teachers. And then there's schools that would not accept a first-year teacher, and when the, and that that's where they can generally get higher pay. So we've created a medical residency model or a, a, a teaching residency model in this country, sort of on the backs of the schools that have the least opportunities to to get the experienced teachers.
2: Yeah, and, and so, re- yeah. residency is really an interesting analog there because I'm thinking it's called student teaching, right? Like when you maybe in your junior or senior year of college you end up in what, a classroom. You end up in a classroom in, in a school, and like that might give you like you're observing maybe some methodologies or like you might get a chance to do a couple lectures but you're not actually learning how to teach by doing that
0: right and i think what people don't realize is that the skill of teaching reading like let me be frank with you i run an organization i can't teach reading the way that i, I taught second grade and, and no one actually, i never got this service so the teaching of reading is really complex. It's, you know, to be a dentist and to be a really good reading teacher probably takes the same amount of training and skill. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's a science, and there are really specific moves, and there are specific, there's a lot of knowledge that you have to have. That's the really hard part of this work is that it's actually really complex work. And so, you know, how do you simplify it without shortchanging Um, you know what people have to actually do and that's the trick and that's why I think you know knowing uh, thinking really smart about implementation um, you know how to create systems and structures where people can learn quickly um, is
3: this is is the trick. If I I could add one thing to that too which is from a layman's perspective but I think that the the early reading program that Lynette is kind of talking about um, was the one that really resonated the most with me you know to kind of see it in action Um, Look, I think for those of us that have children, um you know children are sponges right at that at that young age, and you know to just i you know I went to some classroom visits and we're just watching the activity and the interaction and I think there are a couple of things you gotta think about one is that you know in a lot of these um uh inner city environments, you know the kids show up to school without any reading competency like you know I think that uh, I know my, both my kids thankfully you know mostly because of my wife were really avid readers and and knew how to read before they ever went to school. Um, A lot of these kids don't have that opportunity, number one. Number two, English may not even be their first language. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, number three, as to what Lynette has talked about, is, you know, the classrooms are often overwhelmed. And so what was interesting for me is, as an investor, just seeing the data that came out of this, right? And, you know, when I got involved, at least in the early reading program, it was pretty early in the program, but the data was super compelling, right, in terms of... um, If they were in a classroom and they measured reading levels and, you know, where they were compared to, for example, city or state averages, and the direct impact it made within a year, within two years, within three years, was very measurable, and it also, to me, felt very scalable, although Lynette and her staff, I think, sometimes continue to, um, I don't know what the right word is, roll their eyes or hide under their desk (laughs) when I start talking about some of the scalability, you know, expectations (laughs) I have. Um, uh, but I think that's the, look, that's the part that's really, just if you take a step back and just look at the human element of this, these are, you know, these are five, six, seven, eight year old children who don't need a whole lot other than some real direct targeted help. Um, and it makes a huge difference, um, you know, for from there, from a reading comprehension perspective. And, you know, it's a model that I, to me, as a business person, seemed very scalable. And to date, I would say that the, you know, the, the, the results have been scalable. I mean right. they've, they've scaled a lot already in a short period of time.
1: Yeah, and and Lynette, I'm going to ask you to, to just not listen right now, because I'm going to ask Sunny about that scalability question. You know, how do you get this program, Teaching Matters, into more schools? What, is, what does it take to scale this?
3: You're asking me? Yes, I'm asking you, Sunny. Yeah, okay. So, so that um,
1: Lynette doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah,
3: <laughs> about- <laughs> yeah, well, look, part of it is funding, right? you tell so it. Part, part of it is, look, the most important thing is probably funding, right? And I think that uh, because I you know I think that, and that well I say that 's the most important thing the execution's clearly more important than that, but we can't get to execution if there's no money for it and so it's been really where i've centered our giving and i've uh as a number of my friends know i've- 've not been shy about uh leaning on them on this, and what's been really interesting to lean on my friends in the business community on this is you can put a couple of charts up and you can show data, and the data is irrefutable and i I would say that I think a lot of people. You know, and I, uh, you know, if you just think about the nexus between <laughs> business and um, and 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 doing good, right? So uh, whether it's social entrepreneurship or anything else the data is you know if you've got if something is really if it's hard to make something tangible and or if it takes a long time for the results to come through people may still do it and people are very passionate about different causes this is one where the data comes through very quickly right so to the scalability again in my mind is you need funding we've done a lot working with teaching matters to bring a lot of funding to this and i you know c- expect to continue to rally the, tr- the troops to do more and more and it's all about execution, right? And I think that I think uh, Lynette and her team have done a great job scaling so far. Uh, but you know, there's a uh, there are a million school, you know, kids in the New York City school system. So not all a million of them need this help. But they're yeah, we could touch a lot more. Um, and then uh, and then I think it's also a model which is scalable outside of New York. So
2: so um, I think you know this question is for Lynette, but I think it's also relevant for Sonny. So Sonny, if you have any thoughts, chime in too. But Lynette, you know, you ha- you have an MBA. Sonny's a business guy too, you know we're at the wharton school you know we don't like at the wharton social impact initiative we don't work a lot with nonprofits but we very much think about business solutions business skills and acumen that drive social impact and so my question is really around a how do you sort of utilize your mba skills your private sector skills to to execute and you know hopefully over time scale and then also sort of thinking about the financing of your enterprise right like I'm guessing it's mostly philanthropy grant government grants stuff like that. The school's
1: probably are. And don't and that. how
2: do you think about the all the, the suite of business tools that you've learned and how you use those to execute on, you know, teaching matters?
0: Yeah, so so I actually have always taken the approach that um, there has to be a, a kind of a mixed revenue uh, approach, and that sounds sort of technical, but there has to be some piece of, of funding that's coming from the school because that's their skin in the game. You can do the best program in the world, but if there's not any investment by the school or by the district, it concerns me. And I, we've been fortunate in New York because schools control their own budgets. I can't tell you how powerful that is. It's a really important success factor. If a principal makes a decision with their own money to participate, then they have said, I'm going to put my time and energy behind it. And that's the number one barrier that you have to break through. So that's one is we need um, skin the game from the school. The second is that we then need to match it with private, with other sources because the schools never have the resources they need to actually do the job right. And so it's a combination of mixing philanthropic foundation, um, private donor and school. Now, let me tell you why private donors like Sunny make me are really important in the work because when, when Sunny goes and visits a school and brings his friends to, to visit a school and see the work, often um, people have not always been inside an urban public school and there's perceptions of the teachers and the kids, what's going on. Most of those are, are not right. And so this idea of engaging the private community, not just in giving money, but actually seeing the reality of what the teachers are facing and the hard work they're doing. That's also really important. So I guess what, for me, this is bringing money together, but it's also bringing people together that all need to be working together to invest in public schools. So from, I don't know how, from a social entrepreneurial perspective, my model is you know, when somebody talks about scaling, he's correct. I mean, we absolutely can scale, but it's, there's a, this model, and we're, by the way, we're, we're scaling to 80 schools. So in the next couple of years, and we're currently already at 35 with this program. Teaching Matters currently is in 100 over 100 schools. Um, so we are scaling, and we're going deep. But what we the way we do this work is it's not just imp- implementation and funding. It's about bringing people together that really all need to be involved in the conversation about how to flip the story in public schools.
1: And Sonny, do you have
0: anything to add to that?
3: Lynette, how many schools were you in when, we, <laughs> when I got involved with you guys on this? Um, oh,
0: so we, uh, we, I think we were in – well, we started this, we were in two, and Sunny right. said, this is the thing I want to invest in. And then, after
3: his investment,
0: we got um, infusion of funding from a foundation to, to really grow, and it was all because Sunny sort of um, put a real shine to light well, on I
3: I, I don't want any of the credit for that. I'm just saying it's made huge progress in a short period of time from a scalability standpoint, and – look i, I look I, I the other comment i'm going to make is more as a parent right and and uh, which is you know if you can't read you can't learn right and if you just think about this i mean um and i i i, I don't want to get over my skews on some of the commentary but you know it, there are clear links between inability to read by the time you get to 3rd grade 4th grade, grade. Yeah. and and where some of those kids may wind up um and the um you know, from if you know, one in terms of you know not staying in school, two in terms of getting in trouble. <clears throat> there are some you know, uh, um, there was some article that was written a number of years, a couple of years ago, that said that some of the publicly traded prison operators sometimes you look at reading levels of third and fourth grade boys, especially, and project forward what kind of how yeah. many prison cells they're going to need in the future. I mean that this is an easy fix, right? I mean, I, and I don't. I'm not trying to say it's easy from the standpoint of the execution. Execution is hard. I mean, there's, you know, there's, as Lynette said, we had real people that are experienced and know what they're doing. They need to be in these schools. The schools need to be open to it and all of that. But the cost-benefit analysis yeah. on this, the cost of what we're doing relative to the benefit – it makes all the sense in the world, right? Well, and, and it's that,
1: also a business imperative. I mean, businesses, you know, we need to have educated people who are able to, to sort of work in corporations and small businesses and everywhere. So yep. it's, it's, you know, there's, there's that side as well. So
0: Lynette, um, you're, what school districts are you in now? We're current, this program is currently in the Bronx in Districts 7, 9, 10, and 11. Um, and we, we have so we have a model right now where we have a foundation that's been scaling the program, and uh, Sunny's involved in a second model, which is this kind of match revenue, so that the schools are, are are the schools pay for some, and private donors then sponsor the additional um, expansion, and th- that's now in in the in Brooklyn, and we're beginning to spread bring it there too.
1: And do you have any
0: thoughts of moving to other cities? So one of the things that we're looking at is. Um, this is a very deep model yes. you know we're real and so some of the, the you know we're looking at ways to scale, and we have another approach um that we which is which is an, where we develop teachers online and we develop them on particular competencies, but it's all about them actually doing them and us being able to measure and and prove it and so there's then there's a way we're looking at potentially a way to scale this where it's less of us teaching uh, folks how to do the work but just measuring that they can do the work in a very scalable way and providing people a roadmap and so that I think is one future way to think about scalability it's just it's a you know it's a it's a different model it would require the people coming to the table to have you know to bring to have a lot of the skills Mm -hmm. already you know and, and it would be giving them a roadmap
2: and so I have a quick last question for each of you so Lynette I think from the operator perspective you know, advice for our listeners who may run nonprofits who are, you know, you talked about bringing people together and, and how that's really important. What advice would you give our listeners who may be out there running their own business or running a nonprofit in um, how, to, how to think about their models and, you know, build them and scale them?
0: I mean, so for, I, the, the, my driving principle is always um, who you bring to the table. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that's the right one. I'm just saying that I'm really focused on, on um how you bring the right mix of folks with different talents and really leveraging them because i have this belief system that no organization every organization has to be strong because of all of the people involved in it and that's not just the people working at the organization so you have to think about you know you may have people who are contributing you know funding to your organization but how do you turn them into advocates and um and then you may be working with schools but how do you turn them into partners because you know it it's, it my I always think about uh, leveraging people 's talents and putting them together in the right way um, and and understanding that it takes a village to do this work and that there's not some single you know solution I, that's going to uh, I, I don't believe in sort of bringing a single solution to a place and thinking you can fix people I just think it's wrong, so I really really think that you have to approach. Uh, this work through partnership and through collaboration, and that's uh, that's not that doesn't sound very very business school oriented, but uh, <laughs> that combined with cost modeling and data, I think works really well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so, Sunny, you know, as as someone who's on the board of a nonprofit or many nonprofits, as a philanthropist, as a donor, what advice would you give to our listeners who may also be on boards and and maybe giving to to nonprofits? You know, how can they be most effective? What should they be looking for?
3: Yeah, look, I think that. Um We can. Everyone's going to have a a different ability to have different levels of engagement on uh, on stuff, which whether it's their own personal financial giving or their ability to uh, you know spend time on stuff. My view is, um, you know, try to be as actively involved as you can. I think that I think the way to make look ultimately what a lot of these uh, what a lot of these organizations need from us is they need financial capacity and they need us not our only our own financial capacity, but us being willing to pick up the phone or host a uh you know host a get together or do something else to bring other people into it and it, in order to do that we really need to understand the mission and uh, and feel you know not not only excited about it but you know uh, able to kind of sell it if you will and so i think it's important for the organizations to engage their board members in a way to get them to do that um, I think the other thing is the board members need to understand what the work is that's being done and know one to kind of be involved in or one to stay out of the way. What's been really interesting about Teaching Matters, and I think it's not a surprise given Lynette's background, et cetera, is they run it like a business, right? And I think if you run something like a business in that way, it's a lot easier for people who are coming from, like my background, for example, who come from a business background to understand the organization, understand what they need. Um, and kind of really be part of that, right? And I think I think that's critical. Yeah. Um, I think it's much, for me, it's been much more important to be more deeply involved in a few organizations rather than just being ceremonially, ceremonially involved in a number of others. Okay.
1: Well, thank you so much. This has been a great segment. We've been talking with Lynette Guestaferro, who's the CEO of Teaching Matters, and Sunny Kelsey, who sits on the board, about um, their, their really very interesting model for how you improve teaching and you know, improve the uh, reading scores and reading ability of, of kids in some of the urban schools in New York. So thank you for joining us. We'll be taking a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Meg Voorhees, who's the Director of Research at USSIF and we'll be talking about their trends report, and then we will uh, probe a little bit more on what they're finding. We'll be back in a few.
2: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.